Good morning. It is Friday, October 23rd. You are listening to the College Football Daily. My name is Trey Scott. What a weekend we have in store. The Big Ten is back. Cannot wait. Uh, we got a conversation with Steve Lorenz, 24-7 sports analyst covering Michigan for the MichiganInsider.com. It's awesome. Uh, we just wrapped recording it. Jim Harbaugh, Joe Milton, can they ever beat Ohio State? Some really good stuff from Steve. After that, we're going to listen in on an Illinois versus Wisconsin preview from our Illini Inquirer podcast. Jeremy Werner of the Illinois side talks with Josh Schaefer of Badger 24-7 because Illinois plays Wisconsin tonight, Friday night, in Madison. Uh, can't wait. So we're, we're, we're going to listen in on that after we talk to Steve. I thought it'd be fun to, to throw you a little little Friday Power 5 Big Ten football game day preview. Certainly does feel like game day. So we're going to go talk to Steve Lorenz right now. And then after that, we're going to take a break. And then we're going to see what the Eli 9 the Badger game is going to shape up to be. All right, bringing in Steve Lorenz right now. Steve, you're an analyst for the Michigan Insider. You've covered Michigan since before Jim Harbaugh got there. You've you, know, you you've seen the ups and the downs. You probably have fair expectations for what the program can do in the modern era of college football. I think the first thing I want to ask you is like what what upsets you the most? Like what what do, what does the national media get wrong um, most frequently when we talk about Jim Harbaugh and his buyout or his contract? Um, or the fact that we think he's been a disappointment in Ann Arbor? Uh, I mean, a lot, I guess. Uh, biggest thing for me is I've, I've, we've consistently kind of coupled Michigan, and I look at there's like six, seven programs, I feel like, in, this, in the country that are in sort of similar positions. I liken Michigan to maybe a little – they're a little more advanced, a little better than Texas has been, but in a similar situation where you're dealing, you're dealing with a rival – who basically I can like, I look at Ohio state, their program has been basically a snowball rolling down a hill since Jim Tressel got hired in 2000 uh, top five recruiting classes pumping, pumping guys in the pros. Uh, really they had the one hiccup was the one year where Luke fickle was the interim head coach. Otherwise you could argue that Ohio state has had a more sustained success rate in college football than any program. I mean, Alabama had down years with Mike Shula, uh, Oklahoma, Texas, we're seeing it right now, Tennessee. I mean, all these other Ohio state has never really hit mm-hmm. that wall, you know, that most other programs, whether it's through a bad hire or whatever. So I actually think looking back when Jim Harbaugh was hired, I think on our end, I think maybe we didn't really properly gauge the battle that it was going to take to catch Ohio state just because, like I said, I mean, they, they've made all the right hires at, you know, as far as a head coaching deal, they've hired guys who know how to, you know, urban Meyer might be the best recruiter, pure recruiter uh, of all time, uh, at least in the modern, you know, college football era or whatever. Uh, You know, so I think it's a deal where I think it's fair to say that Michigan has been a disappointment to some extent, but I also think that, catching Ohio state looking back was never going to be a three or four year deal. I think it takes sustained culture building and program building. And I mean, let's be honest, they have to trip up in some capacity with something, you know, for, Mm. for, I think just because we're seeing it now in 22, 20, like their, their recruiting is not going to slow down anytime soon. And again, unless something, you know, Ryan day leaves for the NFL, 
or something. They make the wrong hire to replace Ryan Day. You know, it's not not saying that Harbaugh can't uh, beat Ryan Day or that Michigan is incapable of beating Ohio State. I just think to because to bring the rivalry back to where it was, it's not going to take one win, right? I mean, it's not as if if Michigan was a say they upset Ohio State this year. That doesn't mean that everything's back on the same footing necessarily. I mean, this is something that's going to take a little bit more time. So, uh, but nationally, as far as Harbaugh goes, that's kind of my thing. You know, my, our biggest thing on our site has been the way that Penn state is viewed nationally compared to Michigan is, is kind of laughable because I think the two programs are really about as close as they could possibly be. Uh, Michigan is what Harbaugh's three and two against Penn state. They've outscored them like something like 91 to like 17, uh, in Ann Arbor, the two times they've played, uh, James Franklin lost to Brady Hoke. Uh, you know, I mean, I, it, it's kind of that's one of the biggest things I know on my end. Uh, I think you could argue Penn State's been better since Harbaugh's been there, but I think it's like really, really close. But I think the way things are covered nationally, you would think it's it's not close. Um, so, you know, that's kind of one of the things. But the other thing, you know, the contract stuff, that's all like Harbaugh has always dictated all that stuff on his own terms. I would not say, I would 1000% say the fact that he hasn't signed another contract is not even remotely indicative that he's like contemplating leaving or that him and Michigan won't come to an agreement. This is just the way he's, he doesn't have an agent. I mean, he's always done this on his own terms. He said there's bigger fish to fry. I would take them, I would completely take him at his word when he says stuff like that. So, um, you know, that, that's another, yeah. I mean, I don't, granted, it does open them up on the recruiting trail, maybe to a little bit of negative recruiting, but I think for the most part, they've done a good job and, you know, making it clear, like, you know, he's not going anywhere. This is all, that's a media kind of fabrication type deal or, or just a lack of really knowing who he is, you know, because when we cover recruits, it's amazing to me. The, one of the more common themes and threads we get when talking to kids, maybe after they visited or met him is, and it's, it's like clockwork. It's, He's totally different than what I thought he was based on what I see on ESPN or reading articles or reading opinions about him. And so he's just always marched to his own beat. I don't think some people understand that. I think it's, I think, I think it's sometimes it's hard to grasp a guy who kind of operates under his own medium and and doesn't kind of fall in line to what a head coach is supposed to say and do all the time or whatever. I mean, he's just, um, you know, so like I said, there's plenty of things. I could probably keep going. Uh, you know, I think he's been a, a much, much bigger advocate for the student athlete than almost any head coach in college football. Uh, and that never gets mentioned or covered, I feel like, on a consistent basis. I mean, you talk about the uh, instant transfer rule that they're looking at. I don't know if that passed or it's going to pass or whatever. I mean, he was the first head coach to kind of bring that to the forefront. You talk about the, I mean, even things like the, the satellite camp tour they went on. Uh, yeah, the NCAA that feels like a long time. Oh man, that feels like an eternity. Oh it feels right. Shirtless Harbaugh. Yeah, but uh, there was a camp that created a ton of opportunities for a ton of kids who maybe were never going to play for Michigan, but for all the basically opening it up to other schools and stuff like that to give kids a chance to get looked at. There are kids that picked up preferred walk-ons, uh, scholarships to smaller programs based on their performances at at those camps. You know, it's just I think he's always kind of aim things with legitimately not BS to try to make yourself better for recruiting purposes. I think he's really tried to put an emphasis on the student athlete uh, in a lot of different ways. So I, I can tell that you like Jim Harbaugh. I also can sense Steve, a little bit of pent up frustration <laughs> with the fact that like, and I, and I've been there. I, uh, I've been there. Um, 
that the national or that other fan bases are kind of telling you what's good enough for your own program, right? Mm-hmm. Like they're telling you, hey, Michigan, Michigan is, we can make jokes about Michigan. We can make memes about Michigan because Michigan's not going to beat Ohio State and they're not going to win national championships. And I, I, I would guess that Michigan fans would love to beat Ohio State and win national championships. But at some point, like expectations have to be what they are, especially given you talk about Ohio State's run. Like I would agree with you, Steve. No one else has put this sort of uninterrupted run together. Everyone else has, has had little step backs and, and openings to allow rival teams to, to step in. Ohio State has not. So all that's to say is if Jim Harbaugh's contract, which runs 2021, like let's let's just say that they don't extend it until then, Steve. Do you think if Michigan goes two more years without beating Ohio State, that it, it can, can can Michigan do better here? Man, that's a great question. I my my react my response to that has always been, where what direction do you go? You know, I mean, I see like Mark Stoops. Like, are you kidding me? Yeah, I just like you don't I, like that. No, not at all. No, I mean, it's it's it it's. <laughs> you know, I'd say it's just, no, I don't think a guy like Mark Stoops would do a better job at Michigan than Jim Harbaugh would. I, I really don't. Um, I don't think it's even a conversation. Um, I like what Mark Stoops has done at Kentucky, obviously not to discredit that at all. Uh, but really, you know, the thing is Michigan at the same time with all this stuff about Ohio state, they are a questionable spot and a Tyrell Pegram pass away from winning the Big Ten East twice. It's not as if they are have not even come close to conquering the you know to getting to the mountaintop as far as the Big Ten is concerned. You know, and so, uh, but the last two performances against Ohio State, you know, I think bring about legitimate questions because again, Ohio State's not going anywhere. So um, my thing has always been where do you, what direction would you even go in that regard? Um, I think Harbaugh's making Michigan a lot of money. I know the COVID stuff has put a huge dent into anything financial regarding college football, but Michigan has been profitable, like mile or a wildly profitable uh, since Harbaugh's been there. There's that aspect. It's like, I don't know, you know, um, but I, I just, I don't think it's a conversation like, you know, that I, I think many, there are the, the, there are the vocal minority, right. That always want to have that conversation and are looking for, Anybody, I know Matt Campbell was a big name for a while as far as a guy, which again, I, I love Matt Campbell. I think Matt Campbell is one of the best eva- pure evaluators uh, of anybody in college football as far as recruiting goes. But, um, you know, there's names that have popped up and stuff, but I just, I think I failed to find somebody who would do a better job at Michigan, honestly. What makes you nervous about, about the Minnesota game and, and what sort of storylines are you predicting to come out Sunday morning, Saturday night, if that game does not go well for Michigan. And I'm not saying it won't. No, yeah, I, I, we have no idea. Yeah. Right. We don't know. Uh, I think the storylines, I think that game and probably this season will be dictated on who Joe Milton is and if this is legitimate or not. Really? Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I, I Michigan is replacing four starters on the offensive line. I think saying four starters on the offensive line is worse than what it really is. I think Ryan Hayes. Hayes could easily be better than John Runyon was last year at left tackle. I think he's capable. They're better at the skill positions. Despite losing Nico Collins, they're, I wouldn't say they're better at the top because Nico would have been their probably their first or second best player on the team. But I think they're deeper 
They're definitely more athletic. They are loaded at running back. Um, I think this is all dictated by Joe Milton. And and so if they were to if they're to win, I think I think this is what you'll see. If Michigan can win this game on Saturday, I think you'll start to see maybe some positive momentum building as far as like, okay, maybe Michigan is legitimate this year because my belief always has been that Milton is the guy who could be by far Harbaugh's best quarterback at Michigan. He has all of the tools, intangible and tangible, but we haven't seen it yet at all. And he also, to me, possesses a little bit of that potential bust factor just because a lot of it is based on that, those physical tools. He can throw the ball a mile. He can throw the ball a hundred miles an hour. You know, he's got a lot of that stuff. So to me, I think this is a Joe Milton game. He's stepping right into the fire. I think it's going to get away. If you're Michigan, you're glad there's not going to be a crowd. Uh, Cause I think that take a little bit of the pressure off. This would have been like that for Minnesota would be that one home game where everything's rowdy, kind of like what they had against Penn state yeah. last year. Right. You know, and I think that's a tough environment for a first year starter, let alone a first year starter making his first start to go into. Um, but no, I think Michigan's going to be really good defensively. I think they have a real legitimate shot to, to, at the very least, slow Minnesota down. I mean, we're hearing Minnesota maybe down a couple offensive linemen on the outside. If that's the case, I mean, I would argue on paper, Hutchinson and Pay are probably the top one-two on the edge in the Big Ten. One-two. Now, there might be better individual players by the end of the year, but they were both all Big Ten guys last year. Uh, I don't think anybody else is bringing back two all Big Ten defensive ends, so uh, they could feast there. And... uh you know, but to me, it all comes down to what Michigan does offensively, and, and that runs through Joe Milton for sure. Yeah. So the thing about Joe Milton and Tani, I'm going to need like a bleep here, but on I remember Steve when you dropped in on on Slack that Dylan McCaffrey was transferring. I was like, oh, shit. like I I thought that that guy was going to be Michigan's starting quarterback, and you were like, no, like Joe Milton. Well, like we've we've known all summer, like he's he's going to be the guy. So he they're clearly like I remember God, I remember Joe Milton when he was. He's coming in out of high school. He's sort of this like project type player, but for some reason that intrigues me more. This this raw this ball of of clay that you can mold into this great player that intrigues me more than than a uh, than even a Shea Patterson who or, or especially anyone who came before Shea Patterson at Michigan. Like I feel like there's more upward mobility here, and there's there's more of an ability for Milton to kind of be a guy who is an equalizer and, and is a good enough player to overcome the fact that Ohio state is a more talented team, right? Thousand percent. It really is. Like I, I've always said this on our, on our board and this is the truth too. And, and again, I can't control this. I only report what we're told and, and whatever I could, I would only say that since I've been doing this, there are probably only three or four commitments that Michigan has gotten that I feel like they were more excited or more elated about than Joe Milton. Now that was because I think they know what he is capable of. You know, the story about Milton was he and Dorian Thompson Robinson, who's now the starter at UCLA. Those were the top two guys from Michigan in the 18 class at, at quarterback, both visited campus on the same weekend. And uh, you know, the, the consensus has been that Thompson Robinson was their number one target and had been for a while. Mom loved Michigan. He was a much, he was, I think he had a higher rating at that, at that point. And uh, by the time they left that weekend, that board had completely flipped and Michigan was all in on Joe Milton, like a hundred percent. And then they got him 
And I mean, some of the reactions and stuff from those within Shen Beckler were comparable to like when they got Rashawn Gary or when they um, not as if like more excitement where it's like, man, we really think we might have somebody here. You know, like we really think this is somebody that can, can make a difference in the program eventually. Yeah. For it, you know, it is his third year. So he's had ample time, you know, and this is the second year with Josh Gaddis at the helm. Um, and, and I think, you know, I just think the combination of all that will give him a shot, you know, but I just know, and like I said, it's, it's funny to say, cause he, I think he was a lower four star. I know he had some pretty good offers. I think Tennessee had offered, I think Georgia, Florida, he had some good offers, uh, but he, I don't know, he loved Michigan and, and, but they were, you know, over the moon uh, when he committed. So this to me is kind of the culmination of all that excitement from, I mean, it's been three years or two and a half years since that happened. This is kind of a culmination of all that for, to see like, okay, you know, what do we got here? Is this, is this, cause that's what I always remember when I, when I look back on it with him and to see that he's made it to this position, I just look back and think of the reaction when he committed and, and you know, wonder if like, if this is all going to come to fruition for Michigan. So I was going to have that be the last question, but you mentioned Josh Gaddis and I hadn't heard that name in a while. And it got me thinking about how, you know, we spent so much time last year talking about Jim Harbaugh was finally going to modernize the offense. And I think the hire of Josh Gaddis was proof that he does listen, but Steve, like to an outsider, Jim like does feel a little bit like obtuse in the fact that like, okay, this is how I'm going to run my program. This is how we're going to play football. This is what we're going to do. I'm not going to budge. But clearly he's willing to budge some, especially the fact that, you know, he's, he's down with modernizing the offense. If Jim Harbaugh gave you, uh, you know, 30 seconds in the elevator and said, Steve Lorenz, I need your help. I want to fix this program. I want to beat Ohio state. What would you, what would you tell him? Frankly? I mean, Look at how I look at some of the programs that have broken through. When did Clemson break through? When Deshaun Watson came around? That you need, you have to. Ha- I think to get to maybe cement yourself in that upper echelon, you either have to have such good line play on both sides that you can mask like above average quarterback play, or you have to have that game changer at quarterback, that program changer who can kind of take you to that next level. You know, because with the elite programs, I know Oklahoma's always had a great quarterback. We've seen it at Bama before where Bama has a good quarterback, but not like a top five, you know, NFL right. draft. Like a, yeah. Jay Coker. Yeah. That, you know where, but they're, but they're so elite up front on both sides that it negates any deficiency that that quarterback might have. Um, you know, Ohio state, great college quarterbacks hasn't always translated to the pros, but they're, they're putting out guys who are at least getting drafted pretty highly at the quarterback position. That'd be my thing. I think it comes down to finding, yeah, finding that program changer. You know, ironically enough, and this is getting a little too far probably, but Michigan's hope mm. was that Deshaun was that Joe Milton could be their Deshaun Watson down the road. That was like their their highest ceiling hope is that that was kind of the compare that was legit comparison we were told. Um, not something I've written about him much because I that's a like a such a lofty. <laughs> But again, I mean, if you're looking at a guy, you think he has a high ceiling, you know, just stylistically, I think, and just maybe impact wise was kind of the hope they put in there. So again, I think Saturday will at least start to find out if that's a real possibility or if it's another kind of dream, you know, that's going to fall by the wayside eventually. There's nothing wrong with hyperbole. You mentioned Texas in your early comparisons to Michigan. Sam Ellinger has been compared to Tim Tebow now for three. Yeah, There you go. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. All right. Steve Lorenz. Awesome stuff. Good to talk to you, man. Thank you. Thanks again to Steve. Again, number 18, Michigan. 
at number 21 Minnesota, 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time on ABC. The Wolverines are a three-point favorite against P.J. Flex, Golden Gophers. All right, we're going to take a quick break, as promised, and then we're going to listen to an Illinois versus Wisconsin preview uh, on our Illinois Inquirer podcast at Jeremy Werner of the Illinois site with Josh Schaefer of the Wisconsin site. So, Josh, you went through most of Wisconsin's games last year and rewatched the film. So I'm wondering, when you got to Illinois-Wisconsin and uh, the, the probably the worst game of Wisconsin season last mm-hmm. year, uh, what were your big takeaways from that? I think it was college football's biggest upset by the spread last year. Yeah, I my biggest takeaway, and this is actually I'm working on this story right now, and it's kind of a takeoff of a story you wrote, Jeremy, on uh, – lovely ball and uh, takeaways and what they mean for Illinois is just a lot of Wisconsin fans and especially on our message board and things like that keep saying, well, that game totally slipped away from Wisconsin. Like without those two freak takeaways, there's no way that Wisconsin loses that game. And in some ways that's fair, right? Wisconsin had double the possession. Wisconsin had more yards. I mean, they in some ways dominated the game, but Illinois held Wisconsin, which ran the ball well, obviously with Jonathan Taylor all year, to somewhere around four and a half yards per carry. And a lot of those were on first down. Uh, Illinois, or sorry, Wisconsin ran well on first down through probably the first two drives. And then Illinois stuffed them pretty good. They did a good job of holding up Wisconsin's offensive linemen. The Illinois linebackers pretty much ran free most of the game. I think two of the linebackers combined for almost 30 tackles or something like that. Like when you watch the game, that was the number one thing that stuck out to me. I was like, wow. Is anyone blocking either of these linebackers? It seems like not. And then it ended up resulting in a couple Jake Hansen turnovers. Um, so that was probably the biggest thing that stuck out to me that could translate into this year's game too because now Wisconsin doesn't have Jonathan Taylor. Mm-hmm. So what if Illinois' scheme holds Wisconsin to not running that well and Wisconsin doesn't have one of the best running backs ever in college football? <laughs> well, now you could be in a bit of trouble because then you're forcing a redshirt freshman quarterback to probably do a lot in his first start. Yeah, we'll get into that. Uh, but just how, how is Wisconsin? How are Wisconsin fans? How are Wisconsin people kind of approaching this game against Illinois? Is it revenge or is it, uh, hey, we're going to prove our dominance again? Or are they nervous that uh, Illinois actually might uh, have a chance in this one? Um, so the, the fans definitely want revenge and the fans are definitely confident, which I think is, is not surprising, right? I think Wisconsin had won... I want to say, was it nine in a row before that game last year? Something like that. Um, they, they had a good little run there. And so I think the the fans do feel confident. I think the, the coaching staff is sort of waiting to see some of the unknown. I think they're confident in what they have in even some areas where there are new guys, like say the offensive line. You bring back a John Dietzen who played great for Wisconsin for a couple of years and then had to sit out last year due to injuries but came back out of retirement. Um, I think some of those areas they feel very strongly about. I just think it's like the year 2020. There's a lot of unknowns. So I think that they're like, – I think if you asked the Wisconsin coaches, they probably would have thought the 20-some-odd point spread that opened up was a little big. Um, as Paul Chris was saying today, it's hard to scout a team like this, right? It's hard to scout Illinois who brings in a lot of transfers, um, who hasn't played a game this year just like Wisconsin hasn't. It's just hard to sort of understand what you want going in. But I do think it will be a typical Wisconsin team that is still going to try and run the ball, is going to play strong defense, try and force a couple turnovers. 
and basically wear down an Illinois team by having maybe a couple more talented, bigger, stronger guys and sort of trying to assert their dominance in that way. Well, Graham Mertz is now the starting quarterback. Of course, that's probably the biggest storyline heading into Wisconsin season. Jack Cohen out with the injury. Who is Graham Mertz and what is he like as a player? Yeah. So Graham Mertz, uh, he's a four-star recruit out of Kansas in case anyone has totally no idea who he is. He uh, is a lead 11 quarterback kind of guy. Um, he can throw a long ball for sure. I would say that's probably the number one thing people in Wisconsin are excited about. He's one of those quarterbacks, and I'm sure you'll see this Friday night, no matter what kind of game he has. When he drops back and he throws the ball, it just looks good. It looks pretty. Um, he's the highest-rated quarterback Wisconsin has ever recruited in the quarterback rankings area era. So he he has a lot of expectations, and a lot of people are counting on him to sort of do something different than we've seen from Wisconsin quarterbacks here in the past. And I think what he does particularly well and what he worked on this offseason is sort of understanding defenses and really narrowing down what the defense can do based on what formation they're in and things like that. I talked to his quarterback coach, Justin Hoover, uh, out of Kansas, and that was one of the big takeaways, I think, from what their offseason was like, was, okay, so Graham came last year, he sat behind Jack Cohn, got a total information overload, obviously, of what college football is like at the Big Ten level. Now what can he do with that? And I think when you look back, circling back to some of the stuff you see from last year's game, it only played a decent amount of cover zero at times, mm-hmm. leaving those corners out on an island, bringing the safeties either in a blitz or just walking them up in the box. If they do that and force Graham Mertz's hands, he is confident and he will swing the ball deep. We've seen clips of it from practice. That's all over his high school highlight tape. He played in a spread offense in high school and threw the ball around a lot. He's accurate and can really throw it deep. So if Illinois tests him, there's a chance he passes and it doesn't go well for the fighting Illini. He can hit a couple deep ones. Yeah, there's two ways you can probably look at it, and it's probably somewhere in the middle, right, Josh? Is one, Mertz hasn't barely thrown passes at, at this level in this kind of right. uh, game. So maybe that's an advantage for Illinois, especially early in the game. Uh, but then there's this other side that, hey, this isn't some you know backup quarterback. This is, as you said, a very hyped, very uh, highly recruited guy um, who could surprise you a little bit. Maybe the film, not having film, helps Wisconsin because they know what he can do and, and Illinois might not. So uh, how do you expect Paul Christ uh, to kind of use Graham Mertz in the opener? Yeah, I. so there's two... There is a fun version of this that I have created in my head, and then there's the version that will probably happen. Uh, we'll start with the fun version. The fun version is Wisconsin comes out in maybe not the shotgun. We won't go that far, but the pistol at least, and has three receivers out there and tries to throw the ball around for the first series because I don't think I think they could show a different formation or two that Mertz runs probably better than Jack Cohn as far as like a traditional a traditional spread offense shotgun or something out of the out of the pistol that could hit well that isn't using play action, like that is running a couple combination routes on the outside. Wisconsin could show that first drive, try and do something completely different than what Illinois has seen on film and see if they can get a quick drive going. Now, what will Wisconsin probably do? They'll probably use Graham Mertz in the game, run the ball a couple times, and use their, use their offensive line, which I think will be a strong point of the team, to get those running backs going that haven't seen much playing time and probably – slowly work their way down the field on some more of a 
methodical drive, and then maybe Graham Mertz opens it up in the play-action game or once uh, once he's eased into the game a little bit more. Okay, so Wisconsin does lose its two major or two of its major weapons. Of course, you mentioned Jonathan Taylor, who's not just the the big old running back who uh, gets a bunch of yards behind the offensive line. <laughs> Obviously, he's he's a special talent, kind of like Melvin Gordon. Very uh, and, good. Yeah, and then Quintez Cephas was a really good wide receiver and in a tumultuous career with the off the field stuff. That, uh, but they they still have a pretty experienced group of skill players there. Jake Ferguson's one of the best tight ends, uh, mm-hmm. you know, in the Big Ten. Um, so who do you think is, is kind of these go-to guys? Who, who do you think is the best running back here, and, and how good is this wide receiver group? Yeah, so I think starting with Ferguson, I think there's a chance, especially with a young quarterback, he might be the guy come Friday. A tight end in the kind of offense Wisconsin runs is often open and he's a very consistent player. I wouldn't be surprised if he's the guy at the end of the game that Illinois fans are like, wow, Jake Ferguson had six catches for close to 100 yards and maybe a touchdown. I think that that could very much happen. Uh, at running back, Garrett Groshek, who should be a uh, familiar face for some of the Illini fans. He was kind of the third down back over the past couple of years. Uh, he's right now listed as the co-starter with Nikea Watson. I would say Nikea, who came in last year for Jonathan Taylor, and on the first and second downs is going to be the first and second down back. He's known as a downhill runner. I think he's 5'10", 225 pounds, something like that. He's going to hit the holes that the Wisconsin offensive line creates for him and hit them hard. I don't think he's necessarily, from what we know this far, expected to be much of a home run hitter. He really wasn't a home run hitter last year. That hasn't really been his game. I don't think he has pure breakaway speed if he gets out into the open. Who could do that? is uh, Isaac Guriendo, who is a converted wide receiver to running back. So he's got wide receiver track style speed and supposedly has been sort of the third guy in the mix at running back for Wisconsin. Uh, If he comes in and gets the ball, watch out if he's in space because he can definitely move and he could be sort of that difference maker. At receiver, yeah, replacing Quintez Sivas is a big ask. Um, so they're starting with Danny Davis and Kendrick Pryor. They're two seniors who ran a lot of jet sweep last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I know they did that a decent amount in the game against Illinois as well. Danny Davis and Kendrick Pryor have experience when Quintus Sebas was out as far as being more number one style guys. Davis is probably more of your downfield target versus Kendrick Pryor is more of a slot guy. Danny Davis from the highlights we've seen from practice and some of the clips has definitely gotten open and beaten some of Wisconsin's better corner deep. Uh, and Merce has been able to find him. So he might be the kind of guy they throw a deep ball to. Another name to look out for, too, that's sort of been the buzz around camp here, the freshman everyone's excited about, is Chimray Dike. He uh, isn't listed on Wisconsin's depth chart at receiver, but he's listed as a kick returner right now. But everybody, I mean, I asked safety Eric Burrell, senior safety on Sunday, Who's one guy that was really annoying to cover during camp? Didn't ask him if it was a young guy, an old guy, any guy, and he says Jim Ray Dike. Hmm. And to list a true freshman on that sort of question really stuck out to me of, wow, that kid must be really doing something. And it could even be on scout team or something against the number one defense. But for him to be able to start creating like that and create that buzz in camp, my guess is you'll see him get some reps, and he's a big play threat guy. He can really move in the open field. Wisconsin has won four of six 
Big Ten West titles since they split uh, the Big Ten split to East and West. You know, Iowa has always kind of been Wisconsin, but maybe just a tier below. Uh, Minnesota's making this push. Nebraska, we're all still waiting on to be as good as Nebraska thinks it will be. Uh, and then Purdue in uh, Illinois, still trying to get the rebuild, but we think they're a lot closer. Um, it, does Wisconsin? Do you think Wisconsin is still the king uh, of the West here? Yeah, I think you got to be the king until you until you get fully knocked off, right? Yeah. I think Illinois obviously had a good shot at them, and I think that must have woken up the program a little bit of, you know, this Illinois team is starting to rebuild. This is a more legitimate team coming in this year and last year than it was three years ago. But I think it's it's the Badgers side of the conference until anyone really sort of starts taking it from them. And I think it will start defensively for this team this year, hopefully, if the defense – plays like it can and then you'll see what happens offense i think the offense is such a question mark this year that it's really as far as it should be good on paper but what if graham mertz comes in and totally panics Mm -hmm. then it's a totally it's a wild it's a wild year anyway and there's a lot of question marks so that's why i think you probably stick with the consistency right and you think maybe they end up losing one game uh at some point during the year but i think they'll probably end up winning uh winning the west division yeah, and, and to the one or two Northwestern fans who might be listening, I did not forget you. Sorry, I just didn't mention you there. Um, but, but Pat Fitzgerald's obviously a heck of a coach. It's built a heck of a program. Uh, Josh Schaefer, Badger 24-7. Glad to have you on the beat, man. You've obviously done your homework on this, and uh, looking forward to possibly meeting you in the press box. Uh, actually get to cover a game in person here. Can't wait to do it. Yeah, looking forward to it as well, Jeremy. Thanks for having me on. This was, this was fun. All right, thanks, fellas. Appreciate all your help. Appreciate Steve Lorenz. Appreciate Jeremy Warner, Josh Schaefer. Great job on there. And thanks to our producer, Tony Levitt, putting this thing together. Gave me a nice uh, bleep to protect an S-bomb from from earlier in the show with Steve Lorenz. Uh, My name is Trey Scott. Should be a fun weekend of college football on tap. We'll talk to you all on Monday.